Volume Two, Chapter Forty Three of The Marble Fawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Fawn by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume Two, Chapter Forty Three. The Extinction of a Lamp. Between Hilda and the sculptor there had been a kind of half-expressed understanding that both were to visit the galleries of the Vatican the day subsequent to their meeting at the studio. Kenyon accordingly failed not to be there, and wandered through the vast ranges of apartments, but saw nothing of his expected friend. The marble faces which stand innumerable along the walls and have kept themselves so calm through the vicissitudes of twenty centuries had no sympathy for his disappointment and he on the other hand strode past these treasures and marvels of antique art with the indifference which any preoccupation of the feelings is apt to produce in reference to objects of sculpture being of so cold and pure a substance and mostly deriving their vitality more from thought than passion they require to be seen through a perfectly transparent medium and moreover kenyon had counted so much upon hilda's delicate perceptions in enabling him to look at two or three of the statues about which they had talked together that the entire purpose of his visit was defeated by her absence it is a delicious sort of mutual aid when the united power of two sympathetic yet dissimilar intelligences is brought to bear upon a poem by reading it aloud or upon a picture or statue by viewing it in each other's company even if not a word of criticism be uttered the insight of either party is wonderfully deepened and the comprehension broadened so that the inner mystery of a work of genius hidden from one will often reveal itself to two missing such help kenyon saw nothing at the vatican which he had not seen a thousand times before and more perfectly than now in the chill of his disappointment he suspected that it was a very cold art to which he had devoted himself he questioned at that moment whether sculpture really ever softens and warms the material which it handles whether carved marble is anything but limestone after all and whether the apollo belvedere itself possesses any merit about its physical beauty or is beyond criticism even in that generally acknowledged excellence in flitting glances heretofore he had seemed to behold this statue as something ethereal and godlike but not now nothing pleased him unless it were the group of the laocon which in its immortal agony impressed kenyon as a type of the long fierce struggle of man involved in the knotted entanglements of error and evil those two snakes which if no divine help intervene will be sure to strangle him and his children in the end what he most admired was the strange calmness diffused through this bitter strife so that it resembled the rage of the sea made calm by its immensity or the tumult of niagara 
which ceases to be tumult because it lasts for ever thus in the laocon the horror of a moment grew to be the fate of interminable ages kenyon looked upon the group as the one triumph of sculpture creating the repose which is essential to it in the very acme of turbulent effort but in truth it was his mood of unwonted despondency that made him so sensitive to the terrible magnificence as well as to the sad moral of this work hilda herself could not have helped him to see it with nearly such intelligence a good deal more depressed than the nature of the disappointment warranted kenyon went to his studio and took in hand a great lump of clay he soon found however that this plastic cunning had departed from him for the time so he wandered forth again into the uneasy streets of rome and walked up and down the corso where at that period of the day a throng of passers-by and loiterers choked up the narrow sidewalk a penitent was thus brought in contact with the sculptor it was a figure in a white robe with a kind of featureless mask over the face through the apertures of which the eyes threw an unintelligible light such odd questionable shapes are often seen gliding through the streets of italian cities and are understood to be usually persons of rank who quit their palaces their gaieties their pomp and pride and assume the penitential garb for a season with a view of thus expiating some crime or atoning for the aggregate of pity sins that make up a worldly life it is their custom to ask alms and perhaps to measure the duration of their penance by the time requisite to accumulate a sum of money out of the little droppings of individual charity the avails are devoted to some beneficent or religious purpose so that the benefit accruing to their own souls is in a manner linked with a good done or intended to their fellow-men these figures have a ghastly and startling effect not so much from any very impressive peculiarity in the garb as from the mystery which they bear about with them and the sense that there is an acknowledged sinfulness as the nucleus of it in the present instance however the penitent asked no alms of kenyon although for the space of a minute or two they stood face to face the hollow eyes of the mask encountering the sculptor's gaze but just as the crowd was about to separate them the former spoke in a voice not unfamiliar to kenyon though rendered remote and strange by the guilty veil through which it penetrated is all well will you signora inquired the penitent out of the cloud in which he walked all is well answered kenyon and with you but the masked penitent returned no answer being borne away by the pressure of the throng the sculptor stood watching the figure and was almost of a mind to hurry after him and follow up the conversation that had been begun but it occurred to him that there is a sanctity or as we might rather term it an inviolable etiquette which prohibits the recognition of persons who choose to walk under the veil of penitence how strange thought kenyon to himself it was surely donatello 
what can bring him to rome where his recollections must be so painful and his presence not without peril and miriam can she have accompanied him he walked on thinking of the vast change in donatello since those days of gaiety and innocence when the young italian was new in rome and was just beginning to be sensible of a more poignant felicity than he had yet experienced in the sunny warmth of miriam's smile the growth of a soul which the sculptor half imagined that he had witnessed in his friend seemed hardly worth the heavy price that it had cost in the sacrifice of those simple enjoyments that were gone for ever a creature of antique healthfulness had vanished from the earth and in his stead there was only one other morbid and remorseful man among millions that were cast in the same indistinguishable mould the accident of thus meeting donatello the glad fawn of his imagination and memory now transformed into a gloomy penitent contributed to deepen the cloud that had fallen over kenyon's spirits it caused him to fancy as we generally do in the petty troubles which extend not a hand's breadth beyond our own sphere that the whole world was saddening around him he took the sinister aspect of an omen although he could not distinctly see what trouble it might forebode if it had not been for a peculiar sort of pique with which lovers are much conversant a preposterous kind of resentment which endeavours to wreck itself on the beloved object and on one's own heart in requital of mishaps for which neither are in fault kenyon might at once have been taken himself to hilda's studio and asked why the appointment was not kept but the interview of to-day was to have been so rich in present joy and its results so important to his future life that the bleak failure was too much for his equanimity he was angry with poor hilda and censured her without a hearing angry with himself too and therefore inflicted on this latter criminal the severest penalty in his power angry with the day that was passing over him and would not permit its latter hours to redeem the disappointment of the morning to confess the truth it had been the sculptor's purpose to stake all his hopes on that interview in the galleries of the vatican straying with hilda through those long vistas of ideal beauty he meant at last to utter himself upon that theme which lovers are fain to discuss in village lanes in wood paths on seaside sands in crowded streets in little matters where indeed since roses are sure to blush along the way and daisies and violets to spring beneath the feet if the spoken word be graciously received he was resolved to make proof whether the kindness that hilda evinced for him was the precious token of an individual preference or merely the sweet fragrance of her disposition which other friends might share as largely as himself he would try if it were possible to take this shy yet frank and innocently fearless creature captive and imprison her in his heart and make her sensible of a wider freedom there than in all the world besides it was hard we must allow 
to see the shadow of a wintry sunset falling upon a day that was to have been so bright and to find himself just where yesterday had left him only with a sense of being drearily barked and defeated without an opportunity for struggle so much had been anticipated from these now vanished hours that it seemed as if no other day could bring back the same golden hopes in a case like this it is doubtful whether kenyon could have done a much better thing than he actually did by going to dine at the cafe nuovo and drinking a flask of montefiascone longing the while for a beaker or two of donatello's sunshine it would have been just the wine to cure a lover's melancholy by illuminating his heart with tender light and warmth and suggestions of undefined hopes too ethereal for his morbid humour to examine and reject them no decided improvement resulting from the draught of montefiascone he went to the teatro argentino and sat gloomily to see an italian comedy which ought to have cheered him somewhat being full of glancing merriment and effective over everybody's disabilities except his own the sculptor came out however before the close of the performance as disconsolate as he went in as he made his way through the complication of narrow streets which perplexed that portion of the city a carriage passed him it was driven rapidly but not too fast for the light of a gas lamp to flare upon a face within especially as it was bent forward appearing to recognize him while a beckoning hand was protruded from the window on his part kenyon at once knew the face and hastened to the carriage which had now stopped miriam you in rome he exclaimed and your friends know nothing of it is all well with you she asked this inquiry in the identical words which donatello had so recently addressed to him from beneath the penitent's mask startled the sculptor either the previous disquietude of his mind or some tone in miriam's voice or the unaccountableness of beholding her there at all made it seem ominous all is well i believe answered he doubtfully i am aware of no misfortune have you any to announce he looked still more earnestly at miriam and felt a dreamy uncertainty whether it was really herself to whom he spoke true there were those beautiful features the contour of which he had studied too often and with the sculptor's accuracy of perception to be in any doubt that it was miriam's identical face but he was conscious of a change the nature of which he could not satisfactorily define it might be merely her dress which imperfect as the light was he sought to be richer than the simple garb that she had usually worn the effect he fancied was partly owing to a gem which she had on her bosom not a diamond but something that glimmered with a clear red lustre like the stars in a southern sky somehow or other this coloured light seemed an emanation of herself as if all that was passionate and glowing in her native disposition had crystallized upon her breast and were just now scintillating more brilliantly than ever in sympathy with some emotion of her heart 
of course there could be no real doubt that it was miriam his artist friend with whom and hilda he had spent so many pleasant and familiar hours and whom he had last seen at perugia bending with donatello beneath the bronze pope's benediction it must be that self-same miriam but the sensitive sculptor felt a difference of manner which impressed him more than he conceived it possible to be affected by so external a thing he remembered the gossip so prevalent in rome on miriam's first appearance how that she was no real artist but the daughter of an illustrious or golden lineage who was merely playing at necessity mingling with human struggle for her pastime stepping out of her native sphere only for an interlude just as a princess might alight from her gilded equipage to go on foot through a rustic lane and now after a mask in which love and death had performed their several parts she had resumed her proper character have you anything to tell me cried he impatiently for nothing causes a more disagreeable vibration of the nerves than this perception of ambiguousness in familiar persons or affairs speak for my spirits and patience have been much tried to-day miriam put her finger on her lips and seemed desirous that kenyon should know of the presence of a third person he now saw indeed that there was some one beside her in the carriage hitherto concealed by her attitude a man it appeared with a sallow italian face which the sculptor distinguished but imperfectly and did not recognize i can tell you nothing she replied and leaning towards him she whispered appearing then more like the miriam whom he knew than in what had before passed only when the lamp goes out do not despair the carriage drew on leaving kenyon to muse over this unsatisfactory interview which seemed to have served no better purpose than to fill his mind with more ominous forebodings than before why were donatello and miriam in rome where both in all likelihood might have much to dread and why had one of the other addressed him with a question that seemed prompted by knowledge of some calamity either already fallen on his unconscious head or impending closely over him i am sluggish muttered kenyon to himself a weak nerveless fool devoid of energy and promptitude or neither donatello nor miriam could have escaped me thus they are aware of some misfortune that concerns me deeply how soon am i to know it too there seemed but a single calamity possible to happen within so narrow a sphere as that with which the sculptor was connected and even to that one mode of evil he could assign no definite shape but only felt that it must have some reference to hilda flinging aside the morbid hesitation and the dallyings with his own wishes which he had permitted to influence his mind throughout the day he now hastened to the via portoghese soon the old palace stood before him with its massive tower rising into the clouded night obscured from view at its midmost elevation but revealed again higher upward by the virgin's lamp that twinkled on the summit feeble as it was in the broad surrounding gloom 
that little ray made no inconsiderable illumination among kenyon's sombre thoughts for remembering miriam's last words a fantasy had seized him that he should find the sacred lamp extinguished and even while he stood gazing as a mariner at the star in which he put his trust the light quivered sank gleamed up again and finally went out leaving the battlements of hilda's tower in utter darkness for the first time in centuries the consecrated and legendary flame before the loftiest shrine in rome had ceased to burn End of chapter 43, volume 2, read by Lars Rolander.